Hey podcast people, Kev Hurst from Suffolk News here again with the six of the best podcast where I chat to a famous face using six questions from a chosen group. This time I got to talk to a British comedy legend. Check this out. My guest this time on the podcast is quite frankly a national treasure from making us laugh as one half of Smith & Jones or on Not The Nine O'Clock News, showing us his love of listed buildings and restoration or taking us around the world with his travel adventures he never ceases to put a smile on my face and i'm sure he puts a smile on yours too i'm truly joyful to welcome the one and only mr griff reese jones hello griff how are you i'm all right how are you yeah really really well really well so you're getting back out on the road um with a new stand-up tour called the cat's pajamas it's coming to the theater royal barry st edmunds on may 28th and also crossing over into the norfolk border going to Norwich Theatre Royal on June 18th. What can you tell us about the show? Um, well, um, it only that it's number four. So um, I sort of like I've done, I've done, this is the fourth tour that I've sort of engaged on. And I did the last one, my goodness, uh, all over the place. Uh, and uh, I think I must have done about sort of 60 to 70 dates wow. in Hertfordshire alone. Uh, and uh, there are a lot of small theatres enough. <laughs> no, I think I did about 60 or 70 dates, but they all seem to be in half. Which in fact, they were all over the country. So um, it was time, and I can't, you know, I can't work this out. This must have been, I think the last, it, I think it finished like this. I was in Berry St. Edmunds, yeah. by lovely Berry, and I love Berry. Berry set me a little bit of a problem. This is for, for people in Berry. It went like this. Um, I came, I came uh, everywhere I went on that particular tour, I would start with some Instagram stuff because I do stuff on Instagram about taking selfies. Okay. And I'd walk around uh, wherever I was and, and get there early, walk around and take some pictures of me standing in front of, you know, the the best, the biggest buildings in all the, you know, but I'd always choose the ugliest buildings in every city, in every town I was in. I'd choose the Tesco or something like that. And it would always get a big laugh because it was just t- taking selfies in, in the sites of their town. I call them the sites of their town, you know, and they'd always be crazily ugly buildings. And they were always, I got to Barry St. Evans, I couldn't find any. <laughs> well, yeah, you know what I mean? I walked around Barry St. Edmunds for about two hours trying to find something which was ugly enough to get a laugh off. You know, when I took a photograph of nothing. It was just so hopeless. And Barry is such a wonderful, lovely place. And I finished that show and it just dates it. It was the last one of the whole this whole run. And I was really pleased to finish at Barry because I love playing that theatre. And uh, I played that theatre first in 1972, 73, something like that. So uh, I came on and i came on wearing a mask right <laughs> and that got a huge laugh because covid was just breaking out and there were some people talking about wearing masks and i stood there and i said oh i'm sorry yes i'm wearing this only because well i've been doing a bit of sanding in the dressing room you know to try and escape through the back and sort of that got that got a huge laugh because there was just there was just nobody started wearing wearing masks. So it was like the very beginning of what everybody was still laughing about COVID because of this idea that there was no no idea that it would spread to spread in the funny. And since then, so that dates it. So I haven't really done a big tour, but as soon as we got out of lockdown, I started doing tryouts and I and funnily enough, quite close to home because I love to go around um, Suffolk and do so I've been in Sudbury. Oh, cool. And done a show in Sudbury and I've been in Beckles and I've been traveling around really quite close to home doing so. 
apologise if people go, is it going to be very different from the tryout stuff? It won't be. That's just the point of doing the show. I go on <laughs> and try out all sorts of material and uh, try it out on Suffolk people to, to uh, see how it goes, you know. And then and then uh, and once I've tried it out, I start taking it further afield. So, uh, but I'm, uh, I'll be, I didn't play Berry this time, so I'll be in Berry. It'd be great. And I love being in Berry. Yeah, no. And I love being in Norwich as well. I've never played. I am. Um, Norwich is like it's um, is a big uh, a big theatre. So uh, it's good to be moving up uh, after four years and uh, however many years in the in the business, probably fifty years in the business. I'm finally getting to play some bigger theatres. Well, that's good. That's good to that's good to hear. And I know I'm I'm definitely going to be buying a ticket. And I know fans of your work in every field that you've done will be will be buying tickets as well. Um, so now, Griff, with this being the sixth of the best podcast and your tour yeah. being called The Cat's Pajamas, um, I've taken my six questions um, from pet owners I know. So okay. we've got a couple of cat and dog people as well as an owner of a couple of guinea pigs. Um, so are you ready for these? I am. I'm, a, I'm an owner. The only pets I have are alpacas now. Wow. And anybody who follows me on Instagram knows that every now and again I put up a picture of, of the boys, as they're called. <laughs> and what, what, what are the boys' names? Oh, they're called Hesky. Uh, um, they're called uh, Fairmont. They're called Hurricane Gallardo. They all have their names based on the year in which they were born. Wow. So if they're an H, you know, if they're F, they're the, the, Fairmont's the oldest, and uh, and Gallardo is the youngest. Wow. Okay. Wow. I, I, I didn't know that about you. That is something something new I found out. Um, the, the first question actually comes from me. Um, I've got a nine a nine year old cat, um, a Russian blue called Eric. Um, right. He's he's yeah he's basically he's the king of the castle basically, um, and uh, and probably king of the street as well. But um, but I'd like to know when it comes to stand up shows like the cat's pajamas. I mean, what's your process in collecting and putting your material together? Well, I sort of like I I, I put out nets okay. and trawl through experience. Funnily enough. What I often do is a lot of it's based upon the sort of experience and they're based largely, it's, I don't know, it's my, people who've seen the show know that the thing that I love to tell stories about are things that involve me in miserable situations. <laughs> <laughs> Either embarrassment or, uh, or calamity. Like, you know, jumping, there's a very long sequence which is about me jumping off a burning ship in the Galapagos Islands, you know, and, uh, and uh, that's a funny story. And so I develop a lot of funny stories and I go through and think, is that a funny story? But um, I do work no, a bit like this. So, uh, you know, I, uh, it's one of the part, the last travel show I did was in, um, in Canada. Yeah. And every time I go and do a travel show, I think, oh, this will, this will give me material. You know what I mean? Because I'm out and there'll be some experiences which are completely off the beaten track and quite weird. And um, and the thing is about Canadians is they're, they're really nice. <laughs> they're just, they're just, it's true. They are the nicest people in the world. They're just so nice that they are in fact bloody irritating. And uh, <laughs> they're irritating me because I didn't get any embarrassments or calamities or anything like that. <laughs> so part of it is telling stories. I mean, it's always like, well, you know, I go and see my mother, and, and and I've got a long running saga of my mum because you know she's been uh, uh, she'd be part of my act, as it were. Now it's taken a slightly tragic turn because she went into a home, you know, um, 
not mine, I, I, I hasten to add, but she went into uh, uh, home and uh, she's uh, had COVID and got to mention her. So I do talk, I mean, there's a sort of moving area to it as well, but I like to include what I call real life and real things. And I, I love things like when I started off in uh, uh, Tring, I was in Tring, do you know Tring? Yes. In yep. Another show in Hertfordshire. And I think uh, Spike Milligan said it was, uh, it was uh, named after the uh, invention of the bicycle bell, uh, which happened there. It didn't happen there, but it's a great, it's a great idea. I went on stage and said, I said, Tring, oh yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's twinned with the German town of Klang. But uh, the, uh, <laughs> but the, but in Tring, I'm just coming up through the, I left my costume in the car. It's not a costume, it's just a change of shirts. You know what I mean? But I went, I thought, I better go and get it. And if you see, but I found myself locked outside the theatre. Wow. <laughs> And the only way back in was to walk in with the audience. Oh, that's a, that's a good way to start. Going into the theatre, so I walk in through the audience, and I go, "Oh, hello, 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 hello." And that and a woman said, and she said, "It's him." And she said, "She said, well, I hope you're going to be worth it." <laughs> and I was able to start the whole show with ten minutes on whether I was worth it or not. So it's a little bit like you pick up things as you go along. The truth is and they make me laugh and the truth is it's it's rather funny doing interviews like this because it reminds me of stories and i think oh, well maybe i'll maybe i'll tell that story too so i always keep i i hate the fact when we get to a fixed show i love tryouts because i love the sort of sense of i don't know what i'm going to tell tonight and actually that's worked very well so the second half what we're going to do in this show is ask people to ask questions and uh yeah, we'll just talk about whatever people want to talk about and uh, uh, whatever whatever. And each question will spark some more stories, you know, and we'll go like that. Brilliant. I mean, that, uh, yeah, I mean, that just sounds that sounds right up my street. Absolutely up my street. And um, the next question I've got um, is from one of my colleagues and a fellow Suffolk News podcaster, Cameron Reid. Um, he's got a fluffy tortoiseshell coloured cat called Bonnie. But um, Cameron, all cat lovers from cats pajamas. Well, I hope they will come. I better do some stuff about cats. Oh I? yeah, yeah. You better, you better, you better <laughs> add that in. You better add that in. But he, he wants to know um, who's your favourite comedian of all time and why. Who well, made you? When I was growing up, I um, I went to quite a hot house school. Do you know what I mean? And I was no good at maths, and and maths was a real trial to me. So I'd have to go upstairs to my bedroom and be working away at my maths. Because um, it took me a long, long time to do this, these five or six questions, you know, just because it's the way we lived. And uh, I could hear my father downstairs laughing. You know, he had a high pitch. <laughs> and it was just so bloody irritating. I would come down, you know, come down and sneak and peer through the door to see what he was laughing at. And um, I loved the comedians of that era, you know, Hancock and, uh, you know, and Frankie Howard and people like that. And I grew up thinking of Frankie Howard as the absolute epitome of comedy. You know, he was sort of his, he was not only funny with his material, he, he had a great act, Frankie. He was a sort of intimate comedian. And people say, oh, yeah, we can see Frankie Howard in you, Griff, which is hardly surprising because when I left university and started work as a radio producer, I produced Frankie Howard. And it was a great sort of honour, but also um, a, a revelation to discover that somebody could be quite as mad as Frank, really. But uh, <laughs> 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 quite, 
quite as a, quite as quite as emotional a wreck of Frank as Frank was. He could be he could be he was quite a quite a hard work. Me, Clive Anderson, Jimmy Malvern, uh Rory McGrath, and we were writing uh, a thing called uh, uh, we started. I, I was the producer. I became the producer by default, and uh, and they were writing um, "Be Frank," the Anthony column of the air, where he would answer people's questions from the audience, posed questions, you know, and get off on one of these Frankie Howard things. But he was a brilliant comedian. I loved him. Fantastic, fantastic, and it's good to know that you actually got to to work with him as well. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. Um, I've got another one of my colleagues, not a cat owner. Uh, Marion Gaimi, um, she's got two guinea pigs, Cookie and Cupcake, um, but she'd like to know, she'd like to know, with you being a Suffolk resident, and, and you know, we've obviously covered quite a lot of stories where you've got involved in campaigns over the years. I mean, are there sort of any any issues that at the minute are, 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 you get hot under the collar, no pet pun intended, you know, um, any that you get hot under the collar about at the minute? Well, this is not particularly funny, but I found that the a Suffolk has always been full of, of really strange sort of decisions and things. So I urge everybody who lives in Ipswich to get involved in the consultation over the Ipswich Museum, because the Ipswich Museum is a really interesting uh, museum. It's a sort of period piece. And walking into it, it's like walking into a sort of um, something out of a children's storybook. It's, it's an extraordinary sort of collection of Victorian mahogany cases and stuffed animals and things like that. And it's really brilliantly done because it's very crowded and you go into this sort of amazing thing. And they've been given a lottery grant. And the lottery grant seems to imply the drawings and the things that they were going to get rid of all that, paint it all white and sort of put lots of signs up to help children. And I just want them to realise that museums have a museum-like quality themselves. Do you know what I mean? I mean, they are artifacts in themselves. And this um, this museum is a museum piece. I mean, it should be taken whole and put in the British Museum because it's such an extraordinary museum. So I want them to be very, very careful with that museum and not ruin its sort of Victorian um, quality. Founded in 1840 and it sort of it grew and was very, very sort of important in a funny way to Ipswich in the about 1900 and they've got wonderful collections there and I'm really nervous that that it's happened to a lot of museums but the idea that they have to make themselves you know up to date and things they sort of lose what is um peculiar to that museum particular that museum you know and that's so I've been involved in that and raising people awareness and I, I want to do it more and uh, I've, I've been on Instagram showing pictures and people have joined us but we also got the <laughs> big thing about the Felixstowe um, uh, uh, the uh, uh, beach huts on Felixstowe which something got and I couldn't believe that the East Suffolk Council voted to lose those beach huts I think it's um, I think it's terrible really I think we should um, be going to the ballot and voting them out is my honest, honest opinion. Until we get people who have a, an understanding of what makes something like somewhere like Phoenixstone an attractive thing in the first place. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think that's, I think Mariam covered that story actually, and that's probably why she she gave me that question. So the next one, the next one comes um, quite close to home, really. It's from my mum, Jan. Right. Um, 
Hello, Mum. Um, and she's she's got three uh, Springer Spaniels, Harry, Millie, and Holly. Um, and she wanted to know uh, how do you feel comedy and people's tastes to comedy have changed over the years that you've been doing it. Um, you know what? I I believe a funny thing happened on the way to the forum. Based on the plays of Plautus, all the plots and the things and the jokes in it. And, you know, I've always wanted, funny enough, to do straight Plautus without without the sort of songs and everything and just do it. Because they are, and I was in, I was in a thing called Trumpets and Raspberries, written by Dario Fay, and that had a, a plot taken completely out of Plautus. So the point I'm making is that they are very funny. I was in The Miser in the West End, Moliere, just a few years ago. And the criticism from some of the critics were saying about my part in particular, saying, oh, he, they've completely, you know, ruined it. They've changed all the wording and somebody got very pompous about it. But um, although there were interpolations into the play, I was doing the play as written yeah. by Moliere. <laughs> the jokes were funny. They just seen it done without people being funny. Do you know what I mean? They yeah. hadn't, that, and there was some fat, fat, there's lots of slapstick in it. It's, I'm sorry, it's full of slapstick. It's slapstick that make people, that makes people howl with laughter. It's so funny. And I, the other day I went to introduce some Laurel and Hardy films at the Slapstick Festival. People were roaring with laughter at Laurel and Hardy. No, 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 please. Comedy doesn't change. The human being doesn't change. They laugh at the same things. All that happens is that people get pompous about it and start saying, oh, you know, this isn't funny anymore, or you can't tell jokes about that, or whatever. The truth is that um, you there are, there are certain subjects you ought not to tell jokes about, but it's not the same as as you can't. <laughs> you know what I mean? And we need to be aware of that, and we need to realise that that's a matter of judgement and care, and it's not a question of... of and also, you know, I'm not in favour of people making racist... Uh, sexist jokes. I don't, funnily enough, I try to, I don't do that in my show just because uh, I don't want to. Do you know what I mean? Not because I've been ordered not to. I just, I just feel that they don't, and I don't say, uh, I don't swear every second word. I mean, because that actually, in a funny way, um, starts to lose its impact after a little bit. Do you know what I mean? With an audience, mm. so you, you work it out. Maybe not every now. Maybe my wife suddenly says, "You put in a couple of, you know," and that's probably just fear. Do you know what I mean? If I think this punchline needs a little bit of a lift when I come to it, yeah. I might find myself swearing in order to push it up, you know. But the truth is that um, I think comedy is a universal experience, you know, and it and it'll go through fashions and changes and things like that. But if you really want to know what, what people laugh at, well, just go and visit some of the old masters and you'll see them, you know, you'll see how extraordinary sort of uh, universal and continuous and the, the human response to people being hit on the head with slapsticks or falling over on banana skid and all that stuff. It's just, it's there in all of us and uh, it doesn't really change with time and whatever may happen with fashion, it'll come back to different ways. People have always said, you know, the sketch show is dead and then along comes not the nine o'clock news, you know, they say, you know, the sitcom is dead and then along comes the office, you know, it's always, you know, it's always changing and thank God. I love that answer. That was a brilliant answer. Love it. Um, a long one. I'm sorry, mate. I'm sorry. No, no, not at all, Griff. No, no, no. I, no, I really loved that answer. That was the, yeah, that was, a, yeah, loved it. Um, Camille Berryman um, is up next. She's a colleague of mine as well. She has a 19 year old tabby cat called Loki. Um, 
And she says one of her favorite YouTube clips, which she plays to her six-year-old daughter many, many times, is of um, the Queen set during Live Aid um, at Wembley in 1985. And um, of course, you know, before Queen took to the stage, you and, and Mel Smith um, introduced them. She wondered what your memories were of that historic day and what it was like to stand on the, the Live Aid stage. It was bizarre going out on the Live, live Aid stage. It was bizarre. It was like, it was sort of summed up Mel, the whole show. I do it in the show, I talk about the whole thing. Because one of, one of the things that happens to you in life is you, you, you start at a university theatre and the walk to the, to the microphone, to, into the spotlight, is, you know, three steps and you're on. You move on till you're playing the Palladium and the Palladium, it's a long walk. Yeah. On the side from the wings to the middle of the, <laughs> middle of the auditorium. <laughs> It's a long, long walk, and you, but you want enough applause to get you to that microphone. You know, otherwise, you know, it's just... So, the thing about Wembley was that was the longest walk on stage that I've ever done. You sort of set off on a sort of uh, walk through the through the speakers and everything like that, and uh, we you walked out and there was no change. It was like being on an aircraft carrier. Honestly, there was a sort of a battleship, a great long deck of things. And you just got closer and closer to a huge noise. And and you couldn't really make out individuals in the in the audience because it was so huge. And Mel, absolutely typically, just arrived at the thing and said, Well, what are we gonna say? Where's the script? And I said, luckily I sat on sat on the old uh, train coming down and worked out some gags you know that was literally i mean we'd done that sort of you know because we knew we had had to be sure and we did the show and uh um we finished and uh mel mel had some it was very funny actually but it was it was a tragedy we would cut out of bohemian rhapsody you know the film i thought yes. you know quite honestly you know uh, honestly queen would have been nothing without us yeah <laughs> Yeah, and so afterwards we went into the VIP enclosure. Bell and I were sitting there, and we were watching it. I think Elton John came on next, or something like that. It was like it was like the global jukebox coming on to play their hits. Mel watched it for a bit. He went, ah. "Well, I'm off." <laughs> what, Mel? You're off? We're sitting in the in the best seats. You know, there's Princess Di. You know, we're sitting in the best seats. Yeah, he said, I've got, I've got a horse running at Doncaster. I've just got to go. Uh, so he just left. He just, it was very funny. It was absolutely typical, Mel. Very, very funny. <laughs> Did you stay for the the full? I stayed, yeah. And he left me, he left his Access All Areas pass with me, which I gave to Peter Finchon, who who was our uh, sort of, you know, like our a very old friend and our producer at the time and then went on to be our manager and became you know ran talk back and then went on to run itv so he's a very powerful man in television now and uh, i said oh peter you better have this and gave him the access all area passes and at the very end when they started singing they all gathered on stage to sing feed the world um i said come on come on let's get on let's well i've got to be on there I was on the in this show. Come on! So we ran around the back of Peter with me, and we got to the backstage. And all, they were a huge quantity of of roadies and security men wearing the yellow Live Aid uh, sweater with their arms literally linked like this to stop anybody coming on. We went towards them with the access all area, and they parted. 
and we walked on stage. Amazing. That's, a, that's a, an incredible memory. It's an incredible memory. Finally, um, one of my bosses, Paul Derrick, um, has, who has uh, uh, ordered Terrier, six-year-old, called Ochi, wants to know, what's the moment in your career that you're most proud of? Oh, well, there we are. Live Able come close, wouldn't it? I mean, it's... but. If I collectively, I'd say his appearances on stage because I've done, you know, I've been, uh, uh, I've done lots of theatre, I've done lots of TV, um, and not the nightclub. He's a great, and he's a great success. And I, there are great sketches which I'm very happy to have been involved in. You can see those on YouTube. But the thing that goes passes this is just ephemera. Are nights of amazing, amazing comedy, being in a wonderful play, you know, like the like uh, um, uh, the absolute turkey, which I did in the West End with. Uh, 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 with Felicity Kendall, you know, is it sort of like they're, they're just great, 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 great nights with a full house, you know, of, of, of nearly 800 people roaring with laughter, you know, because it's so such a great, funny play. That's that's an experience. Recently, I'm very proud of, of having organised um, Happy Christmas Ipswich for, in, in, uh, in Ipswich, which has been a, a fantastic success. And we're off to do another one. So we've now got to go, I've got to go round. I've run out of friends. All my friends have done it. <laughs> so I've got to go around and beg people I don't even know and have never met before to come up and come and spend an evening in Ipswich and come and stay in my house and, uh, and do a show for, for the East Anglian Children's Hospice. But we've been doing that for about five years, over six years now, so it's great. I don't think you'll have any trouble, Griff. I think people. I think the people who aren't your friends. I think they'll they'll pretty much know who you are. Well, it's a busy time of year. We've discovered lots of people say, "Oh, I'd love to do it. I'd love to do it." But then they go get close to it, and of course they're doing their Christmas special, or they're recording this, or they're starting in pantomime and all that. So we have a we always have a bit of a we always have a bit of a struggle to sort of fill that bill. But we do. We've done fantastic. With you know Eddie uh, or Susie as she's known now, uh, Izard and. Uh, 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 you know, uh, uh, Bill Bailey, and we've had uh, 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 Lee Mack, and we've had a fantastic ring. And Milton Jones was hilarious last year. Fantastic. I mean, we've had really brilliant people there. Uh, yeah, I've been told. I've been told it is a brilliant show. I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to go to that as as well as the tour. Yeah, you must. You must. It's great. It's a really great show. So I mean, they were the six. They were the six Griffs. So I mean, how were they for you? Um, they're very, uh, very interesting because they take me through. If you like, I've, I've had the opportunity to to reminisce about most of my career in one sort of 30, 30 minute ramble. <laughs> and not and like the tour, not unlike the tour. So that's probably that's good. And, and also, uh, you might have pulled up some material as well for it as well. well I've certainly started digging up some stuff. Some of it, I've, to be honest, I've done already, but there are other, there are other things which we might need to mention when I get into into Suffolk. Yeah. Brilliant. Uh, Griff Reese Jones's stand-up show, The Cat's Pyjamas, is coming to the Theatre Royal based in Evans on May 28th and also Norwich Theatre Royal on June 18th. Thank you so much, Griff, for coming on Six of the Best and, uh, and good luck with the tour. Good luck with Six of the Best as well. It's very enjoyable. Thanks very much. I enjoyed that so much and I hope you did too. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to follow Suffolk News on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram as well as listening to our fantastic podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well. You can also subscribe to the IM News app. Just head to suffolknews.co.uk forward slash subscribe and have a great rest of your day.